Well, good day, everyone. Welcome to the podcast of the ATS Assembly on Pulmonary Rehabilitation. The topic for today is Pulmonary Rehabilitation in Non-Obstructive Lung Disease. My name is Fritz Fransen. I'm a chest physician in Ciro in Horn, the Netherlands, and I will do the interview today. And I'm speaking currently with Dr. Klaus Ken, who's a chest physician at the Department of Respiratory Medicine in the Schoen Clinic in Schönau in Germany, and he's an expert in the field of rehabilitation and especially non-obstructive uh, lung disease and rehabilitation. So good day, Dr. Ken. Hey, hello to everyone. My name is Klaus Ken. I was already nicely introduced, and I'm happy to uh, give some information and details about our work. Okay. So... And Dr. Ken, we all know that uh, pulmonary rehabilitation is very beneficial, uh, as we have read in the latest ATS-ERS uh, uh, guideline on rehabilitation. It clearly shows that it's beneficial in terms of symptoms, health status, exercise tolerance, and also psychological symptoms. Uh, this document mainly focuses on patients with obstructive lung disease, but you seem to have a lot of experience in other lung diseases as well. Uh, just to start, can you briefly describe the pulmonary rehabilitation center you are working in and the kind of population of patients you are treating there? Yeah, sure. Uh, we are working in an inpatient rehabilitation unit, and we have about currently 100 patients uh, in here, and this means that we treat about 1,300 patients per year. And um, this uh, unit now exists since about 18 years. And so at the time when we started, we initially asked ourselves, uh, should we do the same everyone is doing, but also looking for new fields on rehabilitation. And so we did the latter and being involved in the pre- and post-transplant concept uh, with almost all German transplant centers. We were very early also um, in, um, working with patients with advanced or even end-stage lung disease, uh, having interstitial lung disease, having cystic fibrosis. And so we had to think very early how to deal with these problems. And um, so meanwhile, we have about 15 or more than 15 years of experience uh, in treatment of ILD and cystic fibrosis patients. And um, fortunately, we early started to collect data. So meanwhile, we have about 7,000 patients in our database. And especially for the pre- and post-transplant concept, we uh, have collected data from 1,500 patients prior to transplantation and uh, about 1,600 patients after transplantation. So we learned that, um, as you said, COVD patients definitely benefit in many perspectives from pulmonary rehabilitation, but the same perhaps a little bit uh, with other uh, dimensions may be true for patients with interstitial lung disease and also cystic fibrosis, uh, and this is the experience we want to share with you today. Okay, so so the numbers you present are very uh, impressive. You you mention about 1,300 patients every year. Can you tell us maybe where do these patients come from? 
These patients come from all over Germany, and uh, they are mostly referred from um, big centers, university centers, or transplant centers. We have currently about 12 transplant centers in Germany, and uh, we have collaborations or cooperations with almost all of them. And um, over the years, we uh, could also spread this uh, knowledge to other clinics so that we have, meanwhile, a broad network of referring uh, clinics and referring colleagues. And so um, we have patients from all over Germany, partly also from Austria and from time to time also from Switzerland, so that we definitely can offer a very special and I think also unique um, kind of rehabilitation. Mm-hmm. And what are the what is the distribution of patients you see there? Are they mainly patients with uh, lung fibrosis or other kinds of interstitial lung diseases? When we started, COPD was definitely by far the main indication for pulmonary rehabilitation. Meanwhile, and especially after there is an increasing knowledge in literature and uh, increasing evidence for ILD uh, pulmonary rehabilitation, we see that the numbers of patients with interstitial lung disease, especially with, uh, with IPF, is really increasing. And uh, I think, meanwhile, we have uh, about 100 uh, to 150 patients per year suffering from interstitial lung disease and um, about 30 to 40 per, uh, patients per year with cystic fibrosis, most of them awaiting lung transplantation. Okay. And the rest uh, may be distributed in indications like asthma, COPD, uh, sometimes lung cancer or other um, chronic diseases, disabling patients, um, and um, so, as I said, these non-CBD patients, meanwhile, uh, cover a relevant part of our daily work. Yeah. Um, before we focus on the effects of your program and the results of the studies you did, uh, can you maybe briefly describe the kind of the inpatient program you provide to these patients? So after a thorough assessment of the patient's abilities or needs, we start a um, intensive program because in Germany, for inpatient rehabilitation mostly, we only have about three to four weeks' time to perform this rehabilitation, and therefore we have to offer a kind of compressed uh, and intense program to the patients. That means that we have patients in exercise training about four to five, sometimes six times per week, um, followed or assisted by um, uh, breathing therapy strategies, uh, nutritional support, psychological support, um, if possible or if necessary, optimization of medication and uh, underlying to all this education and motivation uh, with the goal of 
achieving a long-term adherence of what they start learning here, that they would take this as a home, take-home message and transfer what they did here in on an individualized version into their daily lives. And um, that's our main goal, to perpetuate uh, these effects on a long-term basis. Mm-hmm. And can you maybe tell us something about the effects of the, of the program you just described in these uh, specific kinds of patients? Yeah, so um, as I said before, we fortunately early started to collect data, and that gave us the ability to um, put together all this data in the group of ILD patients. And uh, in 2013, we were happy to publish uh, these data in the uh, European Respiratory Journal. And there we could show or demonstrate data of 402 patients with different kinds of interstitial lung disease. And overall, we could show that they were increasing in uh, exercise capacity as well as uh, health-related quality of life. And this was true not only for some uh, parts or some kinds of interstitial lung disease, but it was fortunately true for the whole variety of interstitial lung disease, also especially including IPF, which were about 50% uh, of the total group. And uh, subgroup analysis uh, showed us that even patients showing signs of pulmonary hypertension or beginning right heart failure, they start at a lower level, but also they could achieve relevant and significant improvements in six-minute walk and health-related quality of life. And so I think what we know, meanwhile, is true for COPD patients that also, especially the very disabled patients benefit the most, could also be proven uh, in this study with ILD patients. And uh, so we think that um, even patients with high demands of oxygen uh, may be good candidates for pulmonary rehabilitation when it's done properly and with the sufficient expertise. Did you observe any differences between the, let's say, type of uh, interstitial lung disease and the outcomes of rehabilitation, or were these comparable between uh, they were more or less comparable, uh, and all groups, as seen as mean values, they uh, also exceeded the line of minimal important difference, what is discussed now in literature, around about 30 meters. And um, they, in all indications, they, they um, were better than this um, MRD line. And so uh, with some variations in between the groups, uh, we can say that it seems to be feasible in in all kinds of interstitial uh, lung disease. But however, to be honest, this was a retrospective analysis, and so we have to uh, see all this data in this view of a non-prospective, uh, non-randomized controlled study, which, which we are performing now. Yeah. Uh, well, since we know that uh, the resources for pulmonary rehabilitation are uh, scarce around the world and not all patients that are eligible actually uh, complete the pulmonary rehabilitation programs, were you able to, let's say, predict uh, success in these kinds of patients? 
or there's some yeah. parameters based on which you could say, well, these are the patients that are very likely to benefit from this program? This is a, a very important question, and we also discuss it in detail in our group. And uh, last year we had the opportunity to publish data from the um, entire group of uh, pre-transplant patients in, trans in the Journal of Transplantation, and this was a total group of 800 patients, and about 250 of those were with interstitial lung disease and cystic fibrosis. And um, this paper was published with the, the title of Are There Predictors of Success of Rehabilitation? And we performed a, a multivariant analysis, and we couldn't really detect uh, predictors of success of no, or non-success so that in total it seems um, to be fair to say that um, almost all these candidates may be good candidates for rehabilitation uh, and most of them will uh, succeed or will benefit from this. Okay. Did you face any specific problems during the rehabilitation in these non-obstructive uh, patients? Yeah, I think especially uh, in patients with interstitial lung disease with very high oxygen demands, there may be a line that we have to accept as a uh, limitation for rehabilitation. But this we see perhaps two or three times a year in patients uh, who need about eight liters of oxygen in, in resting position and would even need 10 or 12 liters when they start doing any kind of physical activities. If interstitial lung disease are advanced like this, and also beginning uh, respiratory failure uh, occurs and, and also heart problems may occur with that. That's definitely, uh, in our perspective, a line we have to uh, recognize as a limit for rehabilitation. But um, below that, um, fortunately, we have not seen ever a really um, training or um, program-related severe advance, uh, adverse event uh, in these patients because they seem to be so terribly uh, limited by their ventilation that they can't come up to a um, point where they, on a cardiocircular uh, point, may be endangered. And uh, dyspnea mostly can be handled by observing those patients by giving them the port with um, oxygen or what we do in very advanced patients uh, that we include also non-invasive ventilation in those patients, which is definitely not a common procedure until now, but we also learned that in patients who are highly motivated, this can be um, implemented in the therapy, uh, but this needs to be a thorough and time-consuming um, procedure. Okay. So if I understand correctly, you mentioned that if, it, if the oxygen demand is very high, that might be a uh, reason not to include such a patient in a rehabilitation program. You also mentioned already uh, pulmonary hypertension by saying that these patients are more limited, but they can also benefit to the same extent. 
Do you think that pulmonary hypertension is an exclusion criterion, or do you screen for that during your assessments? So um, what I mentioned before was pulmonary uh, rehabilitation related to the interstitial lung disease, and this is mostly, as we know, mild uh, pulmonary hypertension. And we, uh, we screen for this in, in cases where it's not known before, so uh, we perform echocardiography. Um, we don't have a right heart catheter uh, ability here, but I think we can really uh, rely on our echocardiographic uh, results for that. And uh, for the indication pulmonary, uh, pulmonary uh, artery hypertension itself, uh, also a German group uh, of Grunig has shown uh, in a Marelis paper from 2008 that even patients with uh, PHA, uh, PAH um, may uh, perform rehabilitation and they showed, as we know, very positive results, and so also these patients um, are included in our program because very often they are uh, transplant candidates. And um, so this okay. our, our under, uh, regard is with the primary or the secondary pulmonary uh, hypertension, um, I think this is able to perform, but however, in these cases, you have to be very cautious and you have to observe the patient, especially at the beginning of the training program, very thoroughly because uh, we have to guarantee or to exclude that we uh, overpace them because they wouldn't tolerate that um, due to the underlying disease. Okay. So uh, maybe one of the final questions for you. Uh, you mentioned uh, that you do exercise training. Is there a special modality of exercise training you use in these interstitial lung disease patients, or is it just comparable to the, let's say, traditional uh, pulmonary rehabilitation? Yeah, we started with the uh, traditional kind of uh, exercise training, including endurance and strength training as basic modalities. Um, but um, we some years ago performed a study in COVD and in ILD patients uh, comparing uh, endurance training with interval training. And um, the part of the COVD patients were published by my coworker Rainer Klöckel some years ago. Uh, and we could in this study also see that the ILD patient uh, was um, preferring the interval training much more compared to the endurance training because um, their dyspnea related to exercise is increasing usually uh, much quicker than in COPD patients, and so these patients uh, would fit into this interval training idea much better because at a time when dyspnea increases or raises or would be limiting, uh, the exercise performance is already uh, stopped. And so I think especially for ILD patients, interval training may be a good modality uh, for training therapy. 
and probably also in respect to the oxygen desaturation that occurs. Yeah, that that's the thing. And in yeah. those patients being very disabled, we also learned uh, that um, neuromuscular um, uh, electrical stimulation, uh, as we know that from CUBD patient, also may help ILD patients to uh, improve their uh, exercise capacity, and so that's also one of the options we uh, need or we, we use in those patients. And the latest uh, thing we learned and we published is that um, in RD patients, uh, as I mentioned it before, non-invasive ventilation is possible to perform. And we could show in a recently published paper uh, with Treya, Michael Treya, that um, these patients start at a definitely lower level, but their increase in six-minute walk uh, was um, definitely and significantly higher than those uh, showing no hypercapnia and no need for non-invasive ventilation. So our message would be here that even RD patients with hypercapnia and um, respiratory failure may be uh, included in a program like this especially there are transplant candidates, and there we need to have options to bridge for transplantation, and so we need to see that non-invasive ventilation as a bridging to transplant option, and um, in single cases, I think it's worthwhile doing this, but to be honest, it's much more complicated in comparison with COVD patients. Okay, thank you. Um you mentioned already that some of the data you published were retrospective based on your uh, extensive database. What, uh, what would you still like to explore in this field? Are there any studies you are performing on this moment, for example? Yes, yeah, so um, due to the fact that we don't know about long-term effects of uh, rehabilitation in those patients, uh, we are currently performing a uh, randomized controlled trial with uh, also um, a follow-up uh, on six months to see for long, longer-term effects in patients with ILD, and we are really curious to know whether or not we can show that this is true. Um, and um, so our... our uh, aspects for, the, for further or for future studies um, are related to those questions. We also perform a prospective study on non-invasive ventilation in ILD patients, especially IPF patients, and uh, there with a straight uh, prospective protocol, we also try to analyze and to learn more about uh, the potential effects and the potential benefits we can offer patients with that. Okay. Um, well, to come to the end of the podcast, I think that you are certainly the right person uh, for this interview to talk about rehabilitation in uh, non-obstructive lung diseases. You clearly mentioned that this is very effective, uh, comparable to effects we see in obstructive lung diseases, that there are some special considerations, especially 
the delivery of oxygen and maybe the use of non-invasive ventilation, that you have to regard uh, safety in these patients, uh, especially in those with uh, concurrent uh, pulmonary hypertension, and that there are also some things that are currently unknown, uh, which you are still studying. Maybe for you, Dr. Ken, what would be your final take-home message for the listeners of this podcast? Yeah, I think um, when we think about is it possible to try, I think yes, but um, there the basic uh, need for that is that then pulmonary rehabilitation is done in the best possible way in terms of quality of equipment, of uh, expertise, and if this is available, I think pulmonary rehabilitation also in these patients can achieve relevant and very important uh, benefits. But, um, and I think this is a worldwide problem of the, the, the term of rehabilitation. It's not a really defined uh, topic. And uh, so under the name of rehabilitation, pulmonary rehabilitation, a lot of different things are included. And so I would be happy if um, perhaps ATS, ERS would also work on a proper and more precise definition about what has to be included in a program to be called pulmonary rehabilitation in the end. That's perhaps one of the things that, that not the, the message is everyone who's doing pulmonary rehabilitation can treat those patients we are talking about uh, the last minutes. And um, so if someone uh, will listen uh, to this interview and thinks, okay, I also have those patients uh, and I may have the uh, knowledge and the, the equipment to observe and to care for them, um, my recommendation would say, yes, just try it and, and make your own experience and um, learn step by step how to do that. And uh, we are totally sure that we have not learned enough at all. And so we are on an ongoing learning and, and developing process and we would be happy if there would be other groups uh, adding also uh, data in literature to this kind of patients because um, even if now there are two drugs available for IPF patients, um, there is still a huge demand of other uh, therapeutic options and, and uh, offers those patients need. And I think pulmonary rehabilitation can cover a lot of those. And so we have, all together, we have to uh, deliver and to offer data that makes pulmonary rehabilitation also in these patients seen as a uh, very important um, therapeutic option that has necessarily to be included into the total therapeutic process. And if we once would achieve that goal, I would be very happy and uh, we will try to add more information about and more knowledge uh, to this field. Um, and as I said, I hope that also other colleagues will do the same, and together we will uh, be successful, I think. Okay. Thank you very much for this, uh, for this interview, and uh, thank you all uh, listeners of the, uh, of the podcast. Have a good day. Thanks.